If you listen to this podcast, then you've probably heard me say this idea that relationships are the building blocks of all business, right? The atomic unit of business. And that's why at Be The Stage, we've been trying to coin this topic of scaling relationships. But we had a really hard time with it, (laughs) to be honest, for the past couple of years. And that's why when I saw somebody on LinkedIn speaking about it really eloquently, putting together awesome frameworks around it, and uh, quite frankly, just doing it better than us, I thought that this would be a, a perfect, perfect opportunity to bring him on the show. That's why I brought Mike Grinberg from Proofpoint Marketing to come on the show to have this awesome relationship about how they approach scaling relationships with these three mental models, if uh, if you will. <laughs> the first mental model is about how we build affinity. And it's you know based on this idea that we don't build affinities with companies, we build affinities with people inside of companies when we're B2B buyers. Second is these five steps of decision-making that happen anytime you're influencing anybody. And third is this buyer pyramid that they that they talk about of the different influencers inside the buyer pyramid. Awesome, awesome, awesome conversation. Really enjoyed it. Mike's kind of a genius. He's great at explaining this stuff and just a more seasoned marketer than I am. So he puts it in, in real marketing terms while I'm more of like this like biz dev kind of guy that has uh, backed into all this. I think you're really going to like it. And this is just another version of an internet talk show, right? Like the idea that we create all of our content here through this live interaction that you are invited to on Mondays at 4.30 p.m. if you want to come. And uh, if not, you can listen here on the podcast and we repurpose everything and we teach this methodology in our Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp, which is starting here at the end of February. If you want to know about that, go to bethestage.live slash bootcamp and hope to have you in there. But for now, you know, all you got to do is tune into this genius of uh, Mike Grinberg and our pause in our awesome conversation about how you scale relationships. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Show. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez. Today, I am super pumped. Man, I've been poking at this idea of relationships at scale for like two years. And to my chagrin or to my joy, however you want to put it, I saw somebody doing better than me on LinkedIn and kind of double-clicked into everything that he's doing. He's the founder and CEO of Proofpoint Marketing, has unbelievably good frameworks around this whole like marketing and relationship building at scale stuff, doing LinkedIn lives to the point where he sent me one of these awesome like Stinko cards, just a total pro move. Just your team sent me this and some salted chocolate that did not make it for the show because I devoured it. And I just really like his style, man. So I've tried to build a relationship and here is the the pinnacle of relationship building for me is inviting you onto my show, Mike Greenberg. 
Welcome to the show, man. Pablo, thank you for having me. That was a awesome intro. And you know what? The chocolates don't make it in our house either. If we find a broken one, they end up in the fridge and I just, they're gone. <laughs> so. Brother, salted caramel is the key to my heart. So that chocolate <laughs> salted caramel thing, I was like, it's done. Over. All right. Well, I want to welcome the community. Love having you. Love having you here. This is an interactive show. Ask questions. Be a part of the conversation. Join us later for the Relationship Driven Growth Strategy Sessions where we do the open AMA. And I want to remind everybody that we got the season four of the Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp coming up in end of February. We are filling it up as we speak. And if you're interested in that, go to bethestage.live slash bootcamp. Would love to have you there. Session number three was amazing. So pumped to pumped to do it again. Mike, let's get started, man. I wanna let's I like diving right into it. I've made this mistake before where I have like a, a show planned out about a topic, and then I never actually get to the topic. So I like to just get right into it. Relationships at scale. What does that even mean, bro? I mean, the basic definition, the way to think about it is, you know, the internet as a whole, the interwebs allow us to build relationships with more people faster. Right. So digital word of mouth It's really the, the, that's the idea. So how do you leverage the tools that we have at our disposal to, to do just that? I love it, man. It, it sounds like you've been saying it forever and it, it, it like took me a really long time to arrive to digital word of mouth. And before I used to describe it as just like, you've probably wished somebody a happy birthday that you haven't seen since high school. When else in the history of the world were you doing that? And how normal is that now? Businesses are not doing that type of stuff, right? Like I've just been kind of punching at that, man. You said that this is a, this messaging is something that you all are kind of like, it's not, you know, it's, it's newish to you of like approaching it this way. Can you talk to me about when you, when the aha moment of like, let's push through it this way. What are people doing different? That type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been an evolution. At one point, just going back the, one of the core insights really was that the way that marketing is measured is just kind of kooky and crazy. And I, I grew up in performance marketing. Like, you know, I was date myself a bit, right? I'm 38. I've been doing this for a while. And I started doing, you know, doing Google ads when you start to code in each of your bids separately, like, you know, star, star bid, star, star keyword, all this kind of crap. If anybody on here has been doing that, let me, let me know. It's been a while. So, you know, I grew up in that world and it was just kind of crazy how you know, we measured very transactional type of things. So I've always sort of believed that there's a better way. And I've always tried to get at that, but back you know, working for other agencies and things like that. And as we were starting out, that was always a thing. Like, not that we wanted to build a new measurement platform per se, but a better way to think about it, right? Because you measure the things that you care about. And then over time, really just started thinking about, okay, well, we interviewed our, cl our clients and prospective clients and all that. And it, it was obvious that companies say they are customer-centric, they want to be customer-centric, yada, 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 but none of them are actually customer-centric. If you look at investment, customer success generally does not get a lot of investment. You look at investment in brand, generally not that great, all this kind of stuff, right? So those things were, all, were yet another insight. And we're like, okay, well, how can we... Why is that? Well, it's because you say you want to be customer centric and it's people to people, H to H, all this kind of crap. And at the end of the day, what you're doing is still the traditional funnel and et cetera, et cetera. So that's sort of where we, how we got to the mindset, if you will, is really all about relationships. That's at the center, right? Because you'd be able to say, well, the, the customer is at the center. Okay, great. What does that mean? Well, yeah. the relationship with the customer is at the center. Now we have something to go off of. Because now we can start thinking about, well, what is what are the key points of a relationship? How do relationships progress? And one of the, and I'm sorry if I'm going on a tangent. No, you're good, bro. This is great. <laughs> like one, one of the things I enjoy in general, and I think is a skill and a superpower that a lot of people should work to build is taking frameworks and concepts from outside of your core domain and incorporating them into what you do, right? So again, if you think about relationships, it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm not saying I am a like relationship expert, I'm not going to be the, you know, a psychologist or whatever. However, if you can dig deep and understand what makes a good personal relationship, you should be able to retrofit that into a B2B relationship. So that's sort of how, that's the long-winded answer to how we got to this point where we are. 
and why it's, relationships and all that jazz. I, I, I love it, man. And it's fascinating to me because I, like, I, like I told you, right. Like I've, I've parachuted into marketing. Like for me, it's been the complete opposite, right? Like I would consider myself, you know, like, I mean, it sounds douchey to say that I'm a relationship expert, right. But like, I, I would consider myself someone that's always just been, that is all I've ever cared about. And therefore I've arrived to the point where this is marketing, you know, like kind of the same. I, I don't know those things that you reference of like star and catalog and stuff. Like I have no idea about it, but it's really, really interesting to me to find out when, you know, I reach out to people on the show that think like this often, right? Like, and it's always just like one truth of one way you come in or another, right? Like coming in the marketing standpoint, having the aha that the, that the, that the relationship is the core unit of business, right? Like it, whether it's that you're customer centric or, you know, like Scott Wilder, who's here, he's a, he's a customer, he's pioneering customer led growth and pioneered customer marketing in Silicon Valley and, and stuff like that. Or it's just people that are really, really into core values and company culture as a way that it grows. It's always one way or another that you're, that you're getting into it. And I love, I, I, I just haven't seen a lot of people actually put a, like a really tangible framework to it, right? Like I, I've done my best with the relationship flywheel thing. That's still super abstract, but the stuff that you talk about just really hits differently for me. So I'd love to, I'd love to dive into it, man. I, I know that you have, it's, it's a three prong approach, right? Can you talk me the, the first one is building affinity through people and and not marketing, right? Or talk, talk me through that one. Yes. I mean, the order operations doesn't really matter per se. There's a couple of core, three core insights, I guess you can call it, and concepts. The first one that you were just talking about, it's you hear a lot of people say things like, oh, you know, the best brands are the ones that build relationships with their customers. And it's like, there's a lot of these sort of what I'll call marketing platitudes out there where the, the core of it, yes, I think it's true, but there's absolutely no way to take action against it. What does that mean? What, what does it mean that you're a brand that builds a relationship with customers? What does that look like? And if you ask that question, you're going to get a billion different answers. Oh, well, you know, Patagonia is doing this and blah, blah, blah is doing that. And a lot of the time, the, the references had just ha- so happened to be in the B2C space. And what you, what I believe, and again, I, I, this, is, this is not one where we've done any formal research on it per se. So put that out there. However, from what I've seen and what I believe is that people don't actually build relationships directly with brands, especially in the B2B space. B2C, Maybe there's a little bit more of that, but even even still, mm-hmm. I would argue maybe not as much as people would say. What they do, though, is they'll build an affinity to your brand by building relationships with your ideas, your people, and various groups that are related to your industry, your brand, et cetera, right? And groups is a broad term, and we can dive into that. But I think that, that to me, is a core component. Like The relationship is not direct from... But again, especially in the B2B space, if I'm whatever, I don't know. We, we, if you want, we can pick an example. No, I, I don't care. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. I want to, I want to talk through it. I don't want to give you the crutch of the, of, of the visual just yet. Oh no, um, I wasn't even going there. I'm saying like, we can pick an example of an industry if somebody wants to, like, and talk through it that way. I don't know. Yeah. Whichever sure. way I take it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. You know what I love that what you said is that they build affinity with your ideas or your people, right? So it's like. To me, that is layman's term for, hey, you are, you're building affinity with like the relationship, right? Like if you're, if your salesperson's awesome or your customer success person's awesome, right? Like if, if, if people are, your account manager's great, right? Like, and, and they get to know you and they get to know other people, right? It's like going to a restaurant, man. Like if you love the waiter and you love the maitre d' and the bartender is also makes your best drinks and knows them and the chef comes out and greets you, right? Like the more people that you build touch points with, that's that's a very, very natural thing. I think what's what's really interesting is this idea that the ideas part, right? Like that that ideas part is is what is becoming very, very scalable in a, in a large way, which is why we're such believers in content and in having a point of view that's different and things of that sort. So like, I think that that's huge because what I, when I think of, you know what, Jacob's got a great, great question here. You mentioned this idea of difference between B2B and B2C and he's asking, so Jacob is, he's a thought leader and he's kind of like the category king of like content AI. He's been like evangelizing that thing for a long time. And he's asking, what are the differences in building relationships between B2B and B2C in your eyes? I mean, to me, I think, and just 
for anybody that was curious, like I've, I've been on both sides. I, I've done a bunch of e-commerce and stuff like that. It's more of the players who are there. And this kind of gets into another concept, which is the whole relationship pyramid thing. I don't want to jump we'll get back and forth, but they are interconnected. Yeah. So if we look at the B2B side of things, you're going to have your decision maker, you can have your internal influencers, and you have your external influencers. And there's several layers of that, right? Mm-hmm. In the B2C side, there's not really much on the internal influencer side necessarily, unless... You know, again, you can maybe see it from a family dynamics and things like that. But for the most part, it's people build relationships with, you know, the influencers, right? Either in a a formal influencer or whatever. So I think that that to me is a core difference. And I think the the speed at which the decisions are made and the what's required is also different, right? And obviously, it depends on whether we're, you know, if we're buying a house, right? That's different versus if we're buying a you know, a Garmin watch or something like that. Yeah. And as, as, as you go through that, I think of, I think of kind of what you said a second ago, right? Ideas, people in groups. And we kind of like skipped over groups. And I think you nail it on the idea of groups because here's the key difference that I see, right? Like for me, the group in B2B starts off with a group of people from your company that they're building relationships with in order to build affinity. While in B2C, it's like, the group of people that also use the product and make you feel a certain way, right? Like the idea that like, I think it's both though. I think in B2B, like there's, again, the, the, that's why I use the word groups loosely, right? Yeah. So you'll have, it could be a user group. It could be a community group or a Slack group. It could be a, your local, whatever, you know, BNA. It could be a chamber of commerce. It could be whatever. There's a ton of, you know, industry groups, like, especially if you're in like manufacturing, tons of them exist, right? All this kind of stuff events even, right? Build some of them, the good ones, build groups around them. So it's those those things. And I think the core component to me is sort of understanding how, the, how all these pieces fit together, which is when we think about ideas, well, the reason why the ideas are important is because what you really are trying to do at the end of the day is get, first step is getting your audience, getting these people, getting somebody excited, right? Getting some, getting them excited about what you have to say. Not about, not necessarily about an you know, your product or anything like that, that comes later. Mm -hmm. Excited about the idea that you're sharing. Now they might get excited about your idea for a couple of different reasons. Maybe they're excited about who's sharing it, right? So let's assume somebody internally at your organization is a major thought leader, right? And they're popular on the speaking circuit and they say something new or different. You might be excited just because you follow that person. They said it like, oh, wow, that that person's genius. I got to listen to that, right? So you're excited because of the source of the idea. You yeah, might also yeah. be excited about the idea because of where it's presented, right? Maybe, it, whatever, or make this up. People love you, Pablo. They're here. I happen to say something smart. Who knows? And they go, oh, wow, that happened on Pablo's show. Pablo really knows his stuff. He wouldn't have invited Mike unless Mike really knew his stuff. So that's literally why I love I that idea, here. right? Yeah. So it, it could be that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was saying, I'm saying that's why I invited you here. Like for sure. Like to me, the show, the show thing, the whole guilty by association thing is real, right? Like I, I like that. That is a great way to get something excited. Christopher Lockhead says anything on his podcast, I'm opening up my wallet, right? Like it, it happens. So I, I like that idea of where the excitement source comes from and who says it is huge, right? Like it, it, it brings me back to like Robert Cialdini's like seven layers of influence, like authority being one, liking being another, right? Like those those kinds of things. Like it could be a an authoritative figure. It could be a somebody that you really, really like that says it, you know, that kind of thing. And okay. So, so, so that is how that's the, how, right? Like you get somebody excited into, into something first, and then that starts to build that affinity. And then I think the rest of your frameworks kind of kick in here, right? Like if, is is this where we move into the, the buyer journey part or the decide or or the, or the decision making pyramid? Yeah. Again, all these concepts sort of, that sort of, they, they all play together, right? That's the idea. And yeah, I mean, the, the best way to think about it is take personal relationships, right? Pablo, I'm going to put you on the spot since we're chatting. And I know you're married. So how did, how did you and your wife first meet? Like, what, what, was, the, what was the first interaction? We met, we met at my cousin's wedding in Venezuela when I have like 17 guy cousins and one girl cousin. She was my like one girl cousin's best friend from college. And we were the only two single people in like a 32-person bridal party. Okay. So what I'm assuming... You guys saw each other, you know, from opposite sides of the room, sparks flew, right? But something, you know, something about you got her excited and vice versa. 
right? There was mm-hmm. something there that you yeah she had like a shaved head she had like a, she you said like short hair yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever right so something got her like we'll 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 go we'll say that you're the one that's selling let's just say right something got her excited yeah and at some point you asked her out on a date I'm assuming right yeah I asked her I asked her to dance like at the, at okay. the thing yeah, yeah all right so. We can play this out. So really quickly, the, the the five core psychological decision points, right? And these happen. Mm-hmm. I'm using a personal example, but the same things happen to B2B, which we can talk about in a second. Yeah. Excitement, skepticism, questioning, becoming convinced and becoming committed. Okay. So yeah. first excited, right? You saw each other. There was some more excitement. You asked her to dance, right? So these five happen at every single touch point. You asked her to dance. She's probably thinking, Whatever, I'm going to make this up. Maybe you stepped yeah, this out. Am- this American dude, does he even know how to dance? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. exactly, right? Maybe yeah. the hips couldn't move. You stepped <laughs> on her foot. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. And, she, and she's thinking, God, I don't know. I, do I really want to pursue anything with a guy that can't dance? I don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe you're a great dancer. I have no clue, right? <laughs> but, right, so that's questioning or yeah. skepticism, mm-hmm. right? Next step at some point, maybe, I don't know, you guys probably hung out, you talked, whatever. She probably went back and talked talk to some of her friends and said, oh, you know, I met this awesome guy at the wedding, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? He's an awful dancer, right? Yeah. Feedback from the friend might be, okay, well, is everything else great? Like, oh, no, this guy's awesome. Okay, well, what, who cares, right? Yeah. Great. Now you just got over your, I got over the questioning. Now we're on to, okay, I'm convinced, I'm committed. You reach out, second date, boom, and it keeps going and going and going and going. Right? Those same five things are going to happen over and over and over again. And they might happen really quickly. Or whatever. I don't know. Maybe further down the line, you're married, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Big fight happens. Making this up, right? And now it's, okay, this might be a long-term thing that takes a long time to make a decision on. Are we moving forward? Are we not moving forward? Whatever. So, and again, the same exact thing happens at B2B. Give me the five steps again. So, and again, so the, the way to think about this too is there's, it's either internal or external or both. Meaning internal, it's happening in your own head. External, you are getting other people involved in your decision making. So, Excitement is either internal or external, right? Meaning you might just be saying, saying, oh my God, this guy's awesome. Or, hey, everybody, this guy's great. Whatever, like screaming off the, from the rooftops kind of thing. Yeah. Skepticism is internal. That's sort of in your head. You're having this internal dialogue like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. Like, what about X, Y, Z? Questioning is external. So you're going to bring other people and get their opinions. Mm-hmm. Then you become internally convinced right through these conversations. Mm-hmm. And then once you're convinced... You become externally committed, right? You're either going to go tell your friend, hey, yeah, you're totally right. I'm going to go on a second date. Or in a B2B situation, it's, all right, team, we're going to we're gonna go get a demo with this company, right? And I want you, you, and you to be involved in X, Y, and Z, whatever. Yeah, makes sense, man. That makes a lot of sense from the psychological aspect, right? When we're thinking of, when we're thinking of content and what we take out of, show, you know, what we, what we repurpose and what we're putting out there, we're always thinking, we, we phrase it as, People always ask themselves, is this interesting? Do I trust this person? And is this for me? Right. And that is excitement, skepticism, and and the third step, right? Like the and and questioning, right? Like one-to-one. And then it's and then it's the decision-making matrix. But yeah, I love that. And then your, I don't know if you want to bring up that graphic, but like you, you're basically saying that that, that happens at every point in the buyer journey. That isn't like that happens from the moment they meet you to like when they sign up, that's happening at every inflection point in the buyer journey. They go through those cycles because like you said, that commitment is book a demo. But then once you book a demo, now you are now you're having that journey happen with all the new people that they brought into these folks. That like hundred percent, right? So that's where people also like, you know, people build relationships with other people kind of thing and groups like that ties into that because now you've got potentially multiple of these serpentines going at the same time because you have individuals, right? And you're building a relationship with all these individuals. And think about, you know, in the B2B space, I mean, like I can, I'll give you an example. I was just on a, on a secondary demo call with a, with a company earlier today. And even though everything sounded great after the first demo, once we went through the trial, there was a whole bunch of skepticism that came up. We questioned them internally. Me and our director of operations talked about a whole bunch of stuff, brought that up to them. In the secondary demo, we said, hey, you know, guys, we got to take a bit of a pause, regroup, and really figure out some of our use cases, blah, 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 right? So this this happens every time. And it it's not even just once that, you know, the, this graphic is meant to sort of simplify it even, even a little bit, which is, you know, it's once per stage. But the reality is it happens, if you think about it, every single interaction we have with somebody. 
every single interaction might cause you to become skeptical. It's like, ah, I, I, what? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Right? Like, why? Why did they say that? Why? Well, what about this? And if it's a, if it's something you can't work through in your own head, or you don't feel like you don't, like you don't have the right skill set or knowledge base to go through it on your own. Now you bring other people, right? And then the question becomes, well, who do you trust internally? Who are the people whose opinions you actually care about, right? That, I think this is the, that gets us into that, the third concept of the relationship pyramid. But I think a mistake that's often made is, you know, people ask like, well, what's the, what's the buying committee, right? So we talk about the buying committee and the buying committee, usually you get this giant, like, oh, it's these 15 people or whatever. The reality almost always is there's maybe two people on that committee whose opinions really matter. Everybody else is involved just because of company politics. Mm. And what you need to do is understand who are the people whose opinions actually matter. And I can stop sharing. I don't need to keep this in front of people. Like, who are the people whose opinions actually matter? And those are the people who you really need to be talking to and the, who you need to be trying to influence, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I've heard you say that before on one of your shows, right? Like, I, I, I put that to this idea that it's not about the buying committee. It's about who in that buying committee drive excitement or tampers down skepticism mm-hmm. or, you know, creates certainty for people. I think that that's a really, really brilliant insight. How do you, how do you figure that out, man? How do you figure out who in that buying committee is that influencer? So there's, there's, a, I would say a, a macro view of this, which is you have to do customer research, talk to customers, understand like, what are the trends, right? Well, you'll usually... If you dig deep enough, you'll find, oh, well, yeah, these people always get involved, but really people generally will look to for the input of the CFO because of X, Y, and Z. I'm, I'm totally making this up right now. And then, yeah, we're going to involve all these, you know, the, I, the HR person, but their opinion really doesn't matter. We're going to use this whether they like it or not. They're just there because we have to include them. And then there's the, the micro, which is it's going to differ with every single situation. That's where I think the good salespeople know how to understand that and they know how to dig for that. The regular salesperson will go, oh, well, who else is involved? Oh, well, here's a list of 15 people who are involved. Okay, cool. And they go and they try to interact with all of them, whatever. And the reality is what they haven't figured out is, well, who actually matters? And I don't, I don't mean that lightly as in like, well, these people are worthless kind of thing. Got nothing to do with that. It's do they actually have any clout internally to, to sway a buying decision one way or the other? Yeah. And a lot of people, even though they say they're involved, they have zero clout. True. So it's so if I'm if I'm getting this correctly, it is the there will be key people on your team that are able to have a shot at discerning those ideas. And if you can identify who has those skill sets, those are the people that you elevate to kind of like running point on these relationships and being able to like mm-hmm. do this type of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, again, I don't, I don't have a way to prove this per se at this point, but I'd be willing to bet that that's one of the things that differentiates sort of your, you know, top 1% salesperson that makes president's club versus the one that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Re- resource allocation based on being able to drive insights of the buying committee. That's cool. So Jakob's got another great question, man. So are you, are you thinking about these five stages at each point of the stage when you're like preparing pitches? Like how do you, how do you operationalize that thinking? That's a team? great question, actually. So the one thing that I, I want to stress is again, this that the chart I showed is meant to simplify a really complex process, right? And here's what we know what you can't really know. You don't know what background somebody's coming in with, meaning whatever there's both their excitement and their skepticism are going to be influenced by past life experience. Inner experience and interactions, etc. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they whatever. You're buying a new CRM and you had a, the last two implementations you did, maybe at past two companies, different, you know, the implementations were just awful, right? They took much longer than promised. The features weren't there, whatever. I'm making this up, right? You're going to be walking with that skepticism into the next one. No matter what the messaging is up front, no matter how excited I make you about this new model of CRM, blah, 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 whatever, right? You're walking in there with that. So, you don't really know that part. And the other thing is, is what's more important is what are the types of things that will get people excited? I don't care whether it's a decision stage or at the awareness stage. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, so what's important is understanding what, what are the common skepticisms and what gets people excited, right? So for example, if we know that a common skepticism is time to result, 
you can go and get customer testimonials about specifically focusing on how awesome your time and result is. And that might get somebody excited at the very beginning because they had a really crappy experience with time and result, or it might get somebody really excited at the decision point where they go, oh, well, you're saying it's going to, my contract says it's going to take whatever, three months, you know, a six week implementation plus X, Y, Z, it's going to be three months. I don't know. Is that, is that for real? Well, yeah, sure it is. Here's 15 customer testimonials that say exactly that, right? It could be the exact same piece of content and awareness and in whatever, and it could still work. So I think what I generally advise is don't try to guess what medium or what exact thing is going to work to get somebody excited at stage one versus stage two versus stage four. Got it. You can't, not least of which because you, every person's different. And you don't know what ex, what they're walking in with in the very, very beginning. You know, that that before we move on to the, the buyer pyramid, like that is one of the things that I've liked about your content and how you talk about it that I think is missing from the way that most people talk about it. And it's the idea that you... You talk a lot about where to get these insights, like how to get how to get the customer insights and how you operationalize that stuff. I listened to like a whole podcast of yours of the different questions you ask and stuff like that. And I think really good. Can you can you talk me through kind of like a because right now we're talking and it sounds a lot like a sales process. Can you talk to me about this as a marketing process? Like what is kind of like step one, two, three, four, five to mm-hmm. execute something like this in an intelligent fashion? I mean, it's interesting that you say it sounds like a sales process is the reality is the skill sets between sales and marketing and customer research. And I think they're completely transferable and a lot of the same ones, right? Journalism, another one you can bring in, et cetera, et cetera. So basic process would be, it's, it's definitely the, you know, first we will generally start with stakeholder conversation. So what I first want to know is, if I can talk to your executive leader, your sales leader, your marketing leader, your operations leader, and your product leader, I can talk to those five people in an organization that's actually remotely successful. Those pe- Between those five, you likely have enough fingers on the pulse and a good understanding of customers, a good enough understanding of customers where you can start building a, a solid picture of, okay, what's actually going on? What really matters, et cetera. Now, the problem is, is people focus too much on one or the other or just they focus on too much of, oh, the salespeople are saying this and the marketing people are saying this and they forget to talk to product and customer experience, for example, right? Or they forget to talk to the executive leader who is the founder and has been in the industry for 20 years, right? Yeah. Whatever. Which also, by the way, that's why you got to get your executive leaders involved early. Yeah. So that's step one. From there, you can generally build an initial hypothesis about messaging, about who, you know, what the, the pyramid looks like, what possibly will get people excited versus skeptical, right? Because they can tell, especially the salespeople and all of it, they can tell you stories, right? Oh, well, this happened in this deal, this happened in this deal, this question often comes up. Customer, you know, customer experience people will tell you, oh, well, this is a very typical problem we always have to solve after somebody onboards, et cetera, et cetera. So you can start building those that, that picture from that. And then you got to talk to customers and you, two things you're looking for. One is you're trying to validate your hypothesis you've built from the stakeholder conversations, but then you start trying to dig deeper and build new insights, right? And really get at the at the emotional side of things, right? Because your stakeholder conversations can't give you that. They can give you an idea what they might be or where to dig, but you don't know how, they can't tell you how these people actually felt. They can guess, right? So then that's where you ask questions like, you know, I like to say something fairly broad, like, you know, tell me about the worst day you had on the job. Because you want is you want them to tell you a story, right? And ideally, something from there comes up, and they say, "Oh, well, you know, let's assume it's a somebody in the financial services industry. I don't know." They say, "Well, you know, worst day in the job was when we failed our compliance audit or something." Blah blah blah, right? Oh, what happened? Why why was that the why was that the worst thing that could happen? They tell you, right? And then you dig sort of you know sort of the five whys approach, but in a very particular thing. And you're not trying to get to the five whys of what's the real problem. You're trying to get to what's the real emotion behind. And then through that, you do that, you know, four or five times across the persona. And now you can say, okay, well, there seems to be a, an insight here where this is a pretty common emotional response to a pretty common problem or challenge or whatever. Now that you've got that, you can do some third-party research, you add, you know, through tools like 
Spark Toro and things like that in terms of where, where are these people? What do they talk about? What are they interested in? Things like that. Now you have a more full picture of who are they? What do they get excited about? What can, what do they usually get skeptical about? Who are the other people involved? Right. Cause then you can ask them like, Hey, when this happened, whatever, go, going back to my example of where staying the job, mm-hmm. when this happened, who, you know, who else did you get involved? Like whose opinions did you seek out when you're trying to figure this out? Mm-hmm. Because what you want is that when you do it through a story, yeah. that's built in act, that's built in validation to what they're telling you. Because you can ask them, oh, well, you know, who are you usually involved in your decision-making process? Oh, I involved Sally and Joe and blah, 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 right? Okay, cool. Why? I don't know, whatever. They might, they'll, they'll give you something. But if you do it in the, in the midst of a story, now there's actually, like, it's for real. They're not just saying that because they think that's a person who's, like, it's not because they have to tell you that that person is valuable. It's that person was actually valuable to them because they helped them solve this problem. Yeah. And here's how. So. Yeah. I kind of, I rambled on a bit. I tend to do No, I love it, man. I love it. I was just talking to, so Michael Haynes who's here also. He wrote this book, Listen, Innovate, Grow. He just sent me. It's awesome. He's got, he's got like a great framework for like getting these insights as well. And I've, I've just, I'm fascinated by how we get these insights, right? Like the frameworks, ways of doing it. I remember when we first, when we first started launching shows for people, we'd get stakeholders in a room and, you know, like just talk through it for a long time and then launch a show and, kind of like you, right? It's develop a hypothesis and go test it. And we test it through these shows. We realized real quickly, well, not probably not super quickly, but like in due time, we realized that the best use of our time was, you know, talk to, talk to the stakeholders briefly and then go talk to, go talk to eight or 10 of their clients to again, validate their hypotheses and Mm -hmm. ask these questions. I like, I like running people through very similar to what you said, right? I try to do like a fact opinion feeling kind of question framework of, hey, you know, when you were trying to solve for this, what before you met X client, what what did you do? Oh, well, we did this. Oh, really? Why do you think that that was, why did you think that that was a good idea? Opinion. And then like, what made you feel like that wasn't what worked, right? And, and, and do that across the different consideration mm-hmm. stages. And then we make content around all that stuff, yep. right? Which then like feeds our thing. But I, I, I love that, man. I love, I love asking people about those, those frameworks. I like this idea of, tell me about the worst day in the job. I imagine that you contextualize it to, the worst day trying to do X Y Z that my client yep. does, right? <laughs> yep. So yes and no. It kind of depends, right? Because sometimes it's it's good to start broad, because that's the way that you would, you can discover an insight that you wouldn't have found otherwise, right? If I ask you, what was the worst day on the job trying to create content? Let's assume I'm selling you some yep. podcasting platform. Like a internet right? talk show or something, yeah. Right, right. You're going to give me one answer versus I ask you, hey, what's the worst, what was the worst day on the job? And you might tell me something completely different. It might be something to do with financials. It might be something to do with operations, but whatever, mm-hmm. right? Now, why do I care if I'm selling you a podcasting platform? Why well, I might care because if, if a common thread is, well, worst day on the job was when I'll make this up. I couldn't make mm-hmm. payroll or whatever. I don't know. Right? It's like, okay, well, is that a common thing that people are worried about? Mm. Do I need to be talking about my pricing in a different way because of that? Right. Or how, or yep. maybe I can be talking about how this decreases your need for headcount mm-hmm. because pay whatever, you know what I mean? Like, so Sometimes starting broad, while it might seem weird, is actually a good thing because you you're removing any assumptions you had in the beginning. You have them in the back of your mind, and you might validate them anyway. But actually, I sometimes like starting broader than yeah. otherwise. Yeah, that's smart, man. And you know, specifically for us, right? Like launching shows for people, there isn't anything too broad because if I'm going to make content for your audience, I do want to know what your biggest fears are. Right? Like what keeps you up at night, man? So I think it's. It's really awesome. I love that we got into insights. That's something that I definitely want to talk with you. Let's hit the buying pyramid, right? Or the, the relationship pyramid. So the, the, the general idea is, specifically from a marketing perspective, I mean, I'm curious. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this will resonate, right? You'll often get like executives will say, oh, well, you know, we just need to focus on the decision makers. Like We just need to spend our money, whatever, whether it be ad dollars or events or whatever. It's like, wait, just decision makers. Okay. I pause it. Two things. Number one, I would argue that in a lot of organizations, you haven't, you don't actually realize who your real decision maker is. Hmm. So 
I think and there's two reasons for that. One is the people who are being allowed to actually make decisions and have changed, meaning there's a bunch of direct level people, especially at you know large enterprise firms that have a 30K minimum on their credit card, right? So do you like, do you have a good understanding of how much somebody can spend at what level? That's pretty easy information to figure out. I would argue that most people are like, oh, we got to talk to the CFO. No, you don't. CFO is not making a decision. They might, sure, they have final say on budget, but that marketing director at a Fortune 100 has their own line item in that budget and they're in charge for it. And if they go to the CFO and say, hey, I'm going to spend my money in this way, CFO is going to go, all right. In a lot of cases, that's it's your budget. You mess it up, you're fired. Like, you know, that's your problem to a certain extent. So I think there's that. The other thing is, I think people often mistake like, oh, well, it's the person that signs the check that, that's a decision maker. Well, are they really though? In most cases, I will argue they are not. They literally just sign the check, yeah. right? Like even in our little organization, one of our directors of management just went out and, uh, you know, we need to buy, we need to find a platform for managing insights on a customer interviews. And sure, I, in theory, quote unquote, sign the check. I put my credit card in there at the end of the day. I didn't even look at what the platform was. I said, Joseph, what's the, you go find the platform. Joseph went and found the platform. He said, yep, this is, this is it. And here's why. Here's what's great. Take a look. Here's what it costs. Cool. Here you go. Now they could have tried to target me from the very beginning and never would have done absolutely zero because I have yeah. zero time to spend on that problem. So in that case, I was not the decision maker, but I happened to quote unquote sign the check. So I think, I think we have to separate out these concepts of, well, it's the person who signs to check the decision maker. I call BS on that. And then the other thing is, is again, kind of going back to our earlier points of who are the people you're going to trust when you can't figure it out in your own head? You're going to be skeptical about something. You're going to be skeptical about something that you maybe can't resolve on your own. Let's use software again. Yep. There might be a technical thing that you just, you're not a Salesforce admin or whatever, right? So you don't know if a particular integration is actually going to do the thing that you want it to do. You're probably going to involve your Salesforce admin to talk through like, hey, you know what? This, that, this seems a little fishy. I don't know if this is going to work. What do you think? You have the technical knowledge. You tell me. Now, it might be something for finance, but they're not the ones that are going to answer that problem for you, right? So who are the internal influencers in that particular decision? It might be based on skill set, knowledge base, tenure at the company, all sorts of factors, right? But who are the people whose opinions you actually trust? Yeah. And the other big one, and I know you talk about this a lot, is these external influencers. Like we all, like we forget about them 100% of the time. I should not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time. A lot of the right? time. It's, well, we got to focus on these people. Yep. But what about the CEO they worked with in their past organization who was their mentor for five years? Don't you think they might have an influence on the decision or whatever? Not, not on the CEO, it might be a, a VP of marketing. Yep. Right. What, and that VP of marketing happens to be an influencer in the space. Even you, like if you were to name that software right now that you're using to manage insights, that would probably <laughs> influence somebody's somebody's decision on this call next time they're in that cycle. There you go. The right. platform is Dovetail. Let's figure this out. If, you, if you're on this call and you end up looking at Dovetail and buying it, let me know. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's right, man. This this is so this is so human, right? Like if we if we if we get to this from the you know if I reverse engineer the way that I understand what you're saying. I can I can very much sum it up in a couple of stories, right? Like my first time, my first business when I was a green building consultant, these people paid me like 70 grand to do this study. And in this study, I created this, you know, plan for them that's essentially going to save them about $900,000 a year. And they were going to have to spend about 1.2 million in capital expenditure to do it. Makes sense, right? Like real quick ROI going forward. They paid 70 Gs just for my advice. That director of operations for that building called like an old timey engineer guy that used to be his head of facilities was like, this kid is proposing all this technology. Like, nah, I don't know, taking a couple wrenches here or there and you don't need to do that. I'm like, why'd you even hire me then, man? You know, like external influencer in a very human, in a very human based decision makes plenty of sense. Right. Like, and, and then, and then the internal piece for me, it's as, as the relationship person is the, this like key understanding that most people in high power have gatekeepers and those gatekeepers have the highest like influence on their people. My, my first boss, this guy, Dave Feeney, who was like a old gristle insulation salesman guy, you know, that ran a, that ran a subcontractor. He was like, man, you know how much time I spent just like 
flirting with the front desk receptionist at the contractor's office, because at the end of the day, you bring whatever you need, you know, like anything that you're trying to get to someone, if they'll put it in front of them. If you don't get them to let you in, you're not getting in. Right. So same thing with marketing, right? It's like understanding those people that, that influence them. And I love that graphic and I love how you explain it because it's, it's a very human scale of decision-making. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, going back to the five things, right? The five, yeah. five steps, Guess what happens at the decision-making point when the CEO, let's just say, goes to, to his buddy or his neighbor and says, "Hey, I've got this. I've ha- I literally had this happen to me, right?" So this is like this is this is also created partially to solve our own my own pain, which is years ago we had deals break down at the very last minute, and it was it was always like something weird, like oh, the CEO went to his neighbor who's got a son that's an SEO expert that said X Y Z. It's like what? Sh- what? Damn it. Right. And it yeah. happens all the freaking time. Yeah. So get in front of it, figure out like, no, you can't solve for every single external influencer. Yeah. Like that's, that's maybe a bad example. I just share like, you never know that. However, you might know like, Hey, who are the common voices in these user groups that whose opinions people consistently listen to? Like you can figure that out. Who is the, the head of the, whatever the, the CMO council or whatever, you know, yeah. things like that. You can figure that out. Yeah. Those types of things, man. I love it. I love it. And it, and it brings me to the thing that I wanted to talk with you also about, right? Cause you, you do a podcast. You're also doing these lives as well. For me, the answer to these questions, right? Like this, like once we figure it out, you know, like if, if someone were to be like, Hey, I've got a neighbor who's an expert in this. And they're the one that told me it might not be a good idea. I'm like, Oh, he's an expert in that. Great. Come on the show, man. Let's talk. <laughs> right. Like, or flood him with content that is another expert that's a real expert be like well your neighbor's son might say this but you know Christopher Walker says that right like or or whatever right like talk to me about how you talk to me about how you use your podcast and like your live shows within this framework so the i guess we it's almost like two separate assets to a certain extent they interrelate but mm-hmm. podcast is strictly interviews right where we interview yeah. other marketing leaders and the lives is just talking head it's me and yeah, and your team number, yeah, yeah. yeah, me and my team just talking about these concepts and others. And the podcast, a lot of time, it's you know, we're either looking at who are the external influencers, we're also looking at who are internal influencers, and we're inviting them onto the show. That's not the only reason, but that's a big part of it. And then also, you know, this is where I think understanding how to use these assets, right? So, yeah, we can, I can invite somebody who is a potential buyer or could be a potential buyer onto my show. I could also invite just in general, somebody who is a, an external influencer and then message my potential buyer and say, Hey, I saw you talking about X, Y, and Z. I just had so-and-so on my show talking about the same topic. Thought you might find that interesting. Now that's a very, very tactical thing, right? The other thing in this actually, I just posted a screenshot internally today. You know, there's somebody who is, and again, this is where things get really, really complicated in the real world, right? So give you this example. We had CRO on our on our podcast a while ago when we interviewed. We were a little slow on the production. He moved companies before he could release the episode. So we couldn't release the episode. He stayed in our orbit, yada, yada, yada. He's been to a couple of our lives. He just signed up for the next one that's coming up on Wednesday. And all of a sudden, I look at who who signed up to attend, and it's a it's a VP of marketing, I believe, at a somebody who First look could be a buyer. I'd never met her, never heard of her, don't know who she is, never heard of the company. But it says, oh, her and this person are connections. That is why she, that, that guarantee you that's why she signed up because sure. she had a little notification and said, oh, so and so signed up for, is attending, you know, XYZ. Right. So here, there you go. Right. It's unintended. Word of mouth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you have to know, like, again, you have to know who these influencers are. So that you can just keep in front of them, keep interacting with them. And again, you can invite them onto the show. You can invite them to your lives. You can just message them, right? I mean, again, people want some tactical stuff. It's if you do, if you're running lives, yeah, I'm assuming you coach them on this too, right? It's somebody signs up. I'll often send them a quick message. Like, hey, thanks for signing up. Curious what, what piqued your interest about the topic? Like always like to, you know, make things relevant as much as I can. Like we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about, but if I can tailor it to your question, great. 50% of the time, I'll get somebody to respond like, oh, you know, it's actually X, Y, and Z. Like, oh, I, can, I can work that in. Super smart. Super right? smart. And then as a follow-up, hey, not sure if you attended, if you're making, able to make it live, blah, blah, blah. 
Here's the link. Feel free to check it out. If you have any questions, let me know. Right? That kind of stuff. So you can you can layer these these pieces in, and that might be the thing that gets them excited, right? Maybe they just because they signed up doesn't mean they attended and all this kind of stuff. Oof. That was a golden nugget right there. I'm gonna have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you wanna be a part of my life in, connect with me there. I'm gonna share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, Go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. Yeah, super smart, man. Super heady. I love that, right? So we Rowan does a lot of that stuff for, for this show, right? Like reaching out and making sure that people got what they wanted or if they, if they just clicked for the live, but they haven't actually registered, hey, just remind you that here's where you register. But I hadn't even thought about the idea of just curious what you're hoping to get out of it so I can steer the conversation your way, right? Like giving people, we, we call that giving people a piece of the stage, right? So like if if they show up and you ask the question that that they prompted, now they feel like they're a part of the whole program and like, you know, they see themselves on stage and it becomes a much more powerful relationship builder and value adder. The other The other stuff that you're talking about of, you know, we talk about those tactical moves as well, kind of like in four key concepts. One is content darts, right? Like how you can, what you just said, hey, this part of the show was good, send it to them. Table setting, how you can create a piece of content ahead of a meeting that if somebody sees you, you know, like you can send it to them before you take a meeting with them. Content magnets, how you can ask a similar question over and over again in multiple of these shows so that you create the like the top 25 things that people think about community or whatever, right? Like, and then also going from noise to signal on these live shows, right? Like the idea of, oh man, I really want to do, you know, <laughs> I would love to do business with WordBank and Sylvia and, and Kate from WordBank were on this show today. They must be paying attention to me. Maybe they care about this. This is a, this is something to go talk to them about, right? Like those are all like those tactical things. Do you have any other kind of like tactical, tactical things of how you think about the show and how you do it? I know that you follow up with everybody that you bring on stage and send them a pack of Cinco cards and some chocolate. Like that's, that's brilliant. Well, and I don't know if you noticed the chocolate's got a card inside, right? So there's a custom, there's a handwritten message usually by me. Either me or Gabby, write them directly, right? So it's so there's that. It's sort of a it's a little treat with a little note. So yeah, there's that. I mean, I know that you have to do a gift or something like that, but that's a big part of our of our ethos. So we just, you know, gifting, surprise, and delight, I think is big. And you can you can work that in, especially if you can figure out a way to tie it into either your brand or the conversation or something like that. And it could be as simple as, okay, I'm not gonna get a custom gift for everybody. It's a chocolate. You know, we buy them in bulk, but my custom note on there generally references something we talked about. Okay. This, this particular insight you said was really cool. You know, blah, blah, blah. We're going to do X, Y, Z internally. Even like I learned from those conversations. You know what I love about that the most is that that simple human gesture is a wonderful spark for digital word of mouth. Like I just saw John Ruggi point, you know, post like the gift that you sent him on LinkedIn and John Ruggi is a guy that's super respected by a bunch of other people. So now like, boop, you're on somebody's, you're on a whole bunch of other people's radar because you did like an analog move that, you know, prompted someone to create content. And the whole, the whole beauty of social networks is the idea that whether you're sending someone a gift and they're taking a picture with it and tagging you saying, thank you, or you and I, I'm a, you know, like I've been posting promotional clips with this, with your face on it and my face on it, just in a very seamless way people from your network have been looking at my profile because they're like, oh, you know, Mike's a smart guy. He must be talking to another smart guy. And it checks in, right? So that whole like the frictionless digital word of mouth is a very attractive part of all of it. Now, something uh, this, since we're talking gifting, something I think is really, really important is if you're going to execute some sort of gifting strategy, it has to be authentic. And for that to happen, you need to find somebody who loves gifting. And I'm, I don't, I'm not just saying that like facetiously, like, my wife Gabby, who's my who's the co-founder and, and partner in our in our business, she loves gifting. Like absolutely loves it. She loves getting the right gift for the person, et cetera, and just being creative and out, out of the box, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. If if I was in charge of this, 
you would not have gotten that chocolate. It would have been some bullshit. I don't know, something that was, it would not have, it would not have had nearly that kind of impact. Right. So I think I don't, I want to make sure like people take away the strategy, not the tactic. It's like, oh yeah, I can just send gifts. Sure. Sign up for Sendoso and send blah, blah, blah. No, don't do that. Like I, I'm not poo-pooing Sendoso and Alice and all those platforms. I think they're great for scale if you need it. But I think, again, the gifting side of things, I think this is true for anything. Like if you're going to, if you're going to commit to writing handwritten notes, mean it. Don't just, Hey, thanks for coming on the show. You had some great insight. Look forward to keeping in touch. Blah. I mean, sure. That's better than not sending it, but that's whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. That That's so true. That's so true for gifting, for swag, like whatever you're doing, right? For, so just FYI, Ryan's going to start letting people up as panelists so that we head into the AMA strategy session as we're wrapping up here. But like, totally, man, people that people that do swag and they just like get a t-shirt or, or, or whatever of their brand, you might you might just burn 500 bucks for no reason as as opposed to like we went to this we went to this podcasting conference we wanted to make a big splash so we created these like really cool looking bomber jackets that were like 100 bucks a pop and we put people like a customized kind of like nickname or like thing on the back for people and hand gave it out to like 10 people right like the my spend on those 10 bomber jackets that just got on 10 people's in 10 people's like hands and like a really cool extra thing was way more effective than me buying a hundred t-shirts and giving it to a hundred people. And it really, really worked for us. So like, yeah, man, the, if you're going to spend on gifting or you're going to spend on swag, make it freaking cool, man. Right? You can do, uh, so I guess another tactical thing is we've, we've been messing around with like giveaways on our shows. I forget sometimes to do them, but like, you know, we'll, we'll give away some of these things. Like, you know, we got like the custom decks of cards and, and again, what I say, just, just to give people another idea, when I say custom deck of cards, I don't just mean we went to whatever site and slapped our logo on it. We worked with an illustrator yeah, yeah, yeah. to come up with custom. Well, so yeah, these are different. That's the Cinco deck. Oh, uh, okay. That's so the thing. We, yeah, so we have, I don't have it in front of me. It's in the, it's in a different yeah. room of the house. But no, but these, are, listen, man, even the Cinco deck, like it's all. That, with that same illustrator, also custom. Yeah, it's it's Uno. It's a game of Uno, but called Cinco and it's in your brand colors and it's freaking awesome. And it's for marketers. Like Uno for yeah. marketers. Anyway, Uno for marketers. I, I know. Yeah. I know you got. You're. We're wrapping up. I know you. Want, people want to ask questions. So, Mike, man, before we get there, dude, where do you want people to connect with you? What is who's an ideal client to reach out to? Who do you guys work with, man? I'd love to. I'd love to just kind of evangelize everything you guys are doing because I really believe in it. Well, thank you. I mean, if anybody like I don't. I don't care whether you can buy from from us or not. Like on LinkedIn, if you have any questions about anything we talked about, happy to chat. I think I posted about this the other day. Like one of the cool things about starting to like, you know, getting experience and and expertise is being able to give back. And so anyway, if anyone's got questions, happy to chat. Otherwise, our customers, like we, if you have a really complex consultative sales cycle, the ideas and the concepts we have make sense for you. If you're just, you know, if you're selling $10 per seat for up to 10 seats kind of software where you can do the PLG play. Some of the concepts make sense, but we're probably not the right, not really the right motion for you. So, you know, we work with a lot of like technical professional services, med tech, manufacturing, you know, large, you know, large TVs, ticket prices, that kind of thing. I'm also gonna I'm also gonna go ahead and promote like your your live show on LinkedIn, right? The Master Marketer Show that you guys publish the podcast and your live shows on LinkedIn. Super super awesome. It's kind of it's similar to this format. Wednesdays two p.m. Eastern. Yep. Wednesdays at two p.m. Eastern, right? Like I, I like to promote you know podcast to podcast. People do the same you know motions, yep. right? So like I think it's contextual. Mike, man, you know as we roll into this like open AMA thing, I just want to say thanks, man. Like it's. My, my, the deepest kind of like darkest parts of my journey is when I am in full like self doubt of like, is anything that I'm saying even true? Because I'm not really a marketer and do I even belong here? And when I get to talk to folks like you that are bona fide marketers, successful in business, you know, obviously a nice guy that has a great culture and in your company and stuff like that. And I see, you know, I see you as an example of exactly where I want to be in a couple of years kind of thing, man. It's really, really powerful for me, man. So I just really appreciate you being available for this, the stuff that you put out and the advice that you've given me behind closed doors is is really awesome. So I just want to say thanks a lot and I appreciate you. Yeah. Right back at you. Appreciate you giving, giving me the stage, if you will. And this was fun. I love these conversations. 
There you go. More gold from the amazing people that I get to connect with just because I happen to have a stage, because I happen to have a show. Uh, if you notice there, a little golden nugget at the end of number one, gifting strategy, right? I thought that that was really cool. That's something I really want to get better at. I think we, we should have a show on that. Uh, but also this idea of having a live show that um, intersects with your podcast and your content creation and how valuable that is. So, you know, if you want to check that out, go check out his show, The Master Marketer Show. But if you want to learn how we do it, uh, my best advice to you is take the boot camp, right? Go to be the stage that live slash boot camp. We're going to kick one off here end of February. We're about to be on last call and you get to learn all of our frameworks of how we do it. Make it easy for you to do this thing and then you can plug it into however you need to to develop business the way that we do it and the way that we do it for our clients. And of course, got to thank my team as always. Number one, I always thank Roanne because she just keeps me doing all the things I need to be doing as the account manager on this project. Gina, who's built this amazing world-class culture and brought us a, an amazing team and recruited amazing talent like her right-hand Marge, who makes everything happen. Um, JP, our employee number one, who does all the all the cool stuff, right? He's making all the videos, he's making all the, all the audio stuff, everything that you see and touch is touched by the creative uh, director of our company, JP, employee number one, who is training another awesome creative, Philippe, to, um, you know, follow in his footsteps and do great things for us, like the client activations that we do for our clients, and repurposing that type of content, all helped by Rita, our content strategist, who basically takes the things that we promise and make sure that you get the results that we say um, based on the content that we are creating, right? Like making sure it's all congruent, the story is right, that you're getting the results that you need. Our two awesome account managers, uh, Joanna and Joyce, and our amazing superstar writer, Nicola, who's been my buddy now for going on like four or five years. He's turning into a man. When I first started mentoring when he was 13, he interviewed me on a podcast, and now he's becoming a world-class writer. So I want to thank the whole team, and I want to encourage you to always, always consider the impact of relationships being more valuable than transactions. See you next week.